God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I'm reading John chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now this is the summary statement with regard to the miracle of the water being made wine. I've entitled this message, Christ's Most Important Miracle. Now somebody may say, well, how can you decide what Christ's most important miracle is when he performed all these different miracles? Well, I'm not deciding it. It says this beginning of miracles. Now, now this is not the word that means first, like first in a a sequence of events or in a chronological order. The word beginning means the chief, the thing from which all other things proceed. This is the arch miracle. That's the word it's taken out of, this beginning of miracles. Now, this is the most important of the miracles of Christ. This is the testimony of Scripture. Now, Let me say some things by way of introduction before we look at this miracle. Do you know that the gospel is the only religion that addresses this subject? How can God be just and still justify somebody that's unjust? How can God be just and justify the ungodly? Now, there are perhaps many people that have never even considered this, but the Bible does. I remember one time being in a crowd, and there was a preacher preaching to all kinds of people in this crowd. It was a Cincinnati Bengals football game, and they were on a loudspeaker, and they were preaching, and they were preaching hellfire brimstone, trying to scare everybody. And I heard a man ask this question. Why can't God just forgive? Why does there have to be bloodshedding? Why the cross? Why can't God just forgive? Well, what if you had a child and somebody murdered your child? And they were guilty and brought before the judge, and the judge said, well, I'm a forgiving judge. I'm just going to forgive him. (laughs) How would you feel about that? Why, you would know that justice had not been done. Now, let me repeat, only the Bible, only the gospel, addresses how God can be just, absolutely just, and yet justify someone who's guilty 
and make it to where they are not guilty before God. Now, I'm interested in that. I want to be not guilty before God. Now, this miracle illustrates how that takes place. This is the message of Scripture. How God can be just and justify the ungodly. And we're given in this miracle called the beginning of miracles, the chief miracle. This is the same title given to Christ himself, who is the beginning. Christ is the beginning. Uh, He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That shows how this is a different word than first. He's the beginning. He's the chief. He's that from which all other things proceed. He's before all things. This is the beginning of miracles. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles, all of which take omnipotence to perform. There's the healing of the nobleman's son simply by him willing it to take place. There is the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years and Christ told him to get up and he got up immediately. There is the feeding of 5,000 where matter is brought into the universe that was not there before. Food is brought into the universe and he feeds them. There's him walking on the water. He suspends the law of physics. They're his laws and he can suspend them whenever he's pleased to do it. And he walks on water. There is the healing or the giving of sight of a man that was born blind and Christ gave him sight. And then there's the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. There was a man named Lazarus who had been dead four days and had already gone through the process of decay. And his body had already began to stink. And Christ said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. And there's this miracle. All of these miracles took omnipotence. But this is what God the Holy Spirit calls the most important miracle Because it illustrates what the Bible is all about. How God can be just and justify the ungodly. Now we read beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 2. And the third day, the third day after he had made himself known to his disciples. This was very early in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, just a comment, what a special thing marriage is. A man and a woman in love committing themselves to one another for life until death alone parts them. Marriage is of God. The reason there is marriage is because God. And what a beautiful thing marriage is. It's ordained by God. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was invited to the marriage, he attended it, showing his approval upon this institution. I don't know what else to call it, but it's ordained of God this thing of marriage, a man and woman being committed to one another for life until death alone parts them. Now, verse 3 says, And when they wanted 
wine. Now, something very embarrassing took place. They ran out of wine. Now, this was wine. This was real wine. Um, Look what uh, verse 10 says of the same chapter. He says, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk... Now, that means become intoxicated is what the word means. That's not a justification for drunkenness. Drunkenness is sin. No question about that. But for someone to say drinking alcohol is sinful, you can't support that from the Scripture. Uh, You can't get drunk on grape juice. These people were drinking wine. And they ran out of wine. And this was very embarrassing to the people. one who was running the marriage, um, he was embarrassed. This was a thing of embarrassment. And the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Now implied in that statement is do something about this. They have no wine. Do something about this. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, the Lord was not being disrespectful to his mother. Nobody loved his mother like the Lord did. He's the only one to obey the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Even from the cross, he made sure her needs were met when he commanded John to take care of her. This was not disrespect on the Lord's part. He loved her Perfectly. But this I know, it is never right to tell the Lord what to do. He said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And he was speaking of the same hour that he spoke of in John chapter 17, verse 1, when he says, when he said, Father, the hour is come. Now, he said to his mother, my hour is not yet come when I'm delivered up to men and they get to do what they want to do with me. That hadn't happened yet. Now, this hour that he's speaking of is the hour for which the world was created. The hour of his death. God created the universe so his son can come and do the most godlike thing God ever did. Die on a cross for sinners. Oh, what an hour. Mine hour has come, but it hadn't come yet. And he says to her, by making this statement, woman, this was not a term of disrespect, but I'm God. You do not tell me what to do. Verse 4, or verse 5 His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Now there is the most safe course of action. There is the rule of our life. Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone. After the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, six 
empty water pots made out of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins and a firkin is nine gallons. Each of these vessels would have held between um, uh, 27 and uh, I'm not doing my math right but 27, 36 gallons of, of wine but they were empty. And I think it's interesting, he says, it's after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. Now, the manner of the purifying of the Jews is not God's way of purifying. They had taken the gospel and turned it into a thing of salvation by works. They had their way of purifying. Not God's way, but their way. Now, we read the Jews' Passover was at hand. They had prostituted it. Not God's Passover. The Jews' Passover was at hand. Uh, John 5, 1, a feast of the Jews. John 5, 16, therefore the Jews did persecute Jesus. Now, I'm not picking on the Jews being anti-Semitic. I'm just as guilty as they are of all these things, and you are too. This is not singling out the Jews, but it was the Jews, the people Christ came for, who rejected him. I've done the same. You've done the same. He's talking about the prostitution of the gospel by the Jews and everybody else that is in religion contrary to the gospel. Uh, The Jews murmured. The Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. No man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Then said the Jews, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. There was a division among the Jews because of this saying. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. So this is the Jews' manner of purifying. It didn't purify. You know, six, six water pots. That's the number of man. Adam was created on the sixth day. The biblical numerology, that's the number of man. Stone, stone cold, dead and empty. And here we have Human purifying. You have six empty pots with nothing in them. That's the best man's purifying can do. Hebrews 1.3, here's God's purifying. When he had by himself purged our sins. Made purification for our sins. The same word in the original He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now you have the Jew's way or man's way of purifying. It doesn't do anything. It leaves you empty. And we have God's way, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7. Remember, Mary said, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Here's the miracle. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. You couldn't get another drop of water in these. Now, when God saves somebody, that's what he does. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete. You are filled to the full in him. You're full of Christ. Because Christ is in you, you're in him. All God sees is Jesus Christ. All you need is found in Christ. Nothing can be added to you. 
You can't get any more loved. You can't get any more accepted. You can't get any more saved than you are in Christ. You're filled to the full. He filled those water pots to the brim. Verse 8, And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. This is the preaching of the gospel. We bring the message. And we say, taste yourself. I'm not trying to manipulate people. I'm saying, taste for yourself. Taste what I'm saying for yourself. Taste and see if not the Lord is gracious. Taste this for yourself. What comfort do you have in this message? What hope do you have in this message? Bear it out to the governor. Verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. Now there's the miracle. Water was made wine. It was made to be what it was not before. It was not water that tasted like wine. It was not water <clears throat> that looked like wine. It was not water that smelled like wine. The water was made wine. It was made to be what it was not before. It doesn't say Christ imputed the qualities of wine to the water. It does not say that Christ imparted the qualities of wine to the water. It does not say that Christ infused wine into the water. Now this miracle is given to us to give us a glimpse of what I would say is there is no more important verse of Scripture than this. And this miracle gives us a glimpse into what this Scripture means. Now listen to this Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now here's the answer to that initial question. How can God be just and justify the ungodly? Here's the answer. For he, God, hath made him, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin. And do you hear what that says? He made his son on the cross to be sin. The sins of God's elect became his sin so that he became guilty of that sin. He made him to be sin for us, everybody he died for. And instead of Christ, who knew no sin, he never sinned in his person. He never committed a sin. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made 
the righteousness of God in him. Now let's take this text for face value of what it says. It does not say that God made Christ to be a sinner. It said he made him to be sin. It does not say that we're made righteous. It says we're made the righteousness of God in him. It does not say that God imparted sin to him. Nor does it say God imparted righteousness to us. It does not say God imputed sin to him. Nor does it say God imputed righteousness to us. Just as Christ made that water to be wine, God made Christ to be sin. It doesn't tell us how he made him to be sin, but it tells us he did make him to be sin. Whatever sin is and whatever this means, he was made to be sin. Now, when he was made to be sin and God punished him, God was not punishing the innocent. He was punishing the guilty. When Christ was made sin, he became guilty of that sin. And not only was he made to be sin, the scripture says every believer is made to be the righteousness of God in him. You see, when he obeyed God's law perfectly, that is the righteousness of God, his perfect obedience. Just as truly as my sin became his sin on Calvary's tree, his righteousness, the righteousness of God becomes my personal righteousness. Hence, God has found a way to be just, absolutely just, inflexibly just, perfectly righteous, and yet justify, clear of all guilt, declare to be justified and sinless, everybody for whom Christ died. That wine is what it was not before. It's now wine. It was water. It's now wine. Christ was made to be what he was not before. He was holy. He's now made to be sin. And because he was made to be sin, every believer is made to be the very righteousness of God in him. I want to read you a scripture from Proverbs 17, verse 15. We read, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Now, if God justified me when I'm unjust, it would be unjust. If God condemned me when I'm innocent, it would be unjust. God made a way to be just and justifier through making Christ to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now that water was made wine. And that explains to us what took place on the cross. Christ was made sin. And because he was made sin, everybody he died for, that perfect righteousness that he worked out, they're all made the very righteousness of God in him. Now, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk and their taste buds have become numb and they can't tell the difference between good wine and bad wine, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine. Until now, you have done what men don't do. Men bring out the good wine first, and then they bring the bad afterwards. But you have brought the good wine afterwards. That's not the way men do. Now, understand, God is not like me and you. He has no needs. You and I, everything we do, we have an, we have a, a, an agenda. We're trying to help ourselves in some way. And even when we help people we love, well, it's our loved ones we're helping. We're always, we're self-centered, self-selfish. What we do, we do to benefit ourselves. God has no needs. He doesn't do, need to do anything to benefit himself. So when he does something for somebody, it's just his goodness because he's good. He does it not out of a need, but because of his own great goodness. Now, this man says, you save the best for the last. And do you know this describes the experience of the believer? Beyond the best is always the better. And in heaven, each, I know there's no time in heaven, and I'm saying this without any other way to describe it. Each day in heaven is the best, and the next one is always better. That's the way of the Lord. He is altogether glorious. The best comes last. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Oh, his glory is seen in how he's made the way for God to be just and justify the ungodly. And his disciples believed on him. Now, this is an important distinction. It doesn't say they believed in him. They believed on him. How can I illustrate that? I see an airplane. I believe the plane will get me to the desired destination. I believe on the plane when I go in and trust the plane to get me there. Now, you won't believe on the plane if you don't believe in the plane. But if you believe in the plane, you'll believe on the plane. And when you're on the plane, you're not helping it fly. You're completely dependent upon the plane to get you to the desired destination and that's what faith in Christ is. We completely rely on him to get us to the desired destination. Now we have this message on CD and DVD. If you call the church right or look at our 
website will send you a copy. This is to receive Todd a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen. 